0: I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. We are here to discuss The Suicide Squad. Just came out in 2021 and is directed by James Gunn. This is suicide. Oh, well, that's kind of our thing. Wow. Here's the deal. We fail the mission, you die. If we find out any information you give us is false, you die. If we find out you have personalized license plates, you die. What? No. It stars Idris Elba, Margot Robbie, John Cena, Viola Davis, Joel Kinnaman, Daniela Melchior, and David Deshmelian. The genre would be superhero action comedy. The Suicide Squad, as this one is called, is a dizzying pop spectacle filled with violence, gags, beauty, and even heart. It's so crazy that I wasn't even completely sure how I felt about it after the first viewing, which was on IMAX. While it's certainly a big-screen movie with some genuinely eye-popping imagery and just so much coming at you from so many characters, I could appreciate the scale and craft of it. But if I'm being honest, at the end of that first in-theater viewing, I just felt more exhausted than anything else. Now, granted, it was at the end of a long, tiring day. However, I actually found it more enjoyable the second time around, on a much smaller screen and with subtitles. Now, that's not to say the sound mix was bad in the theatrical version either. It just helped to catch more of the jokes and to enjoy some of the more quiet moments. The whole thing just had a better flow for me the second time around, which is not to say it's not a bit overlong. And even though writer-director James Gunn just crams this thing with so much seeming excess, he achieves something with this film that was not accomplished by the previous Suicide Squad film from five years ago, nor his very own Guardians of the Galaxy film from seven years ago. For the entire runtime, he keeps the focus on the characters instead of condescending to the audience. Now, there's loads of juvenile humor, and not all of it lands, but with the exception of one somewhat irritating Marvel-like gag in the third act— which involves a side character who gets killed, and that's not a huge spoiler when you realize just how many characters there are in this thing, it never feels like Gunn is winking at the audience. He seems to genuinely love all of his main characters, and he treats them with a sincerity that at the very least kept me engaged throughout. If I die because I gambled on love, it will be a worthy death. And now one thing where I will probably find myself in the extreme minority I was never a fan of Groot from the first Guardians of the Galaxy, nor Rocket Raccoon, for that matter, nor Suicide Squad's lame attempt to approximate those beloved characters, Killer Croc. As well-conceived as these characters were on a technical level, I just found them to be one-joke walking sight gags in search of a character. And the same goes for this film's answer to those characters, King Shark, even though he's voiced by Sylvester Stallone. As written, he's presented as someone endearing and sympathetic and loyal, but here's the thing. He's still a walking fucking shark who eats people. This character has one nice scene late in the film as he seemingly discovers some new friends, but beyond that, he just seemed to have too much screen time for someone I didn't care to watch. Yes, he's made to be a schlubbier, lumpier walking shark, but I was never able to connect with him as he still has got those cold shark eyes, like a doll's eyes. And with those exaggerated Yo Adrian vocal intonations that Stallone has been known for. Fortunately, I did like most of the other characters and performances. Even Pete Davidson, who was used for just the right amount of time to not irritate me. There are several standouts in this movie. Yo, is this a dog? What? Is, is this thing a dog? A, a dog? Yes. What What kind of dog do you think it is, mate? I don't know. I'm not familiar with all the breeds. I'm going to go with Afghan hound. Just winners an Afghan bloody thumbs. Oh my God, is it a werewolf? I wanted to meet a werewolf forever. Yo, they sent me into a werewolf? Yo, let me out! I'm not a werewolf, (laughs) He's not a werewolf, okay? He's a weasel. He's harmless. I mean, he's not harmless. He's killed 27 children. But, you know, we got him to, I think, he's agreed to do this. Daniela Melchior is very endearing as Ratcatcher 2. Yes, I said Ratcatcher 2. Her power is, you guessed it, summoning rats. And it's actually well done in the context of the story. Not only that, but her character is by far the most emotional one. We're even given some of her backstory. On paper, this character should not work, but as played by Melchior, she has just the right amount of sincerity to make me buy it. <laughs> Don't we calm down with the rats? What? I have a thing with rats. You a thing with rats? Yes. <laughs> and you're on a team with me? Not something I asked for! That's <laughs> has got a rat phobia. What? <laughs> you didn't tell me you had a fear of rats, Dubois. I'm an assassin! Why would I share my liabilities? Ah! <laughs> oh, He's offering you a pretty leaf to show you he means no harm. Why the fuck would I want to leave? Idris Elba demonstrates once again why so many fanboys have been obsessing about him over the past several years to play whomever geeky IP new character has been announced this week. They want him to play James Bond, Green Lantern. He's just a fan favorite. And I get it. And this movie just cements it even further, because his blood sport is a strong action hero with depth, charisma, and wit. Probably my favorite scene of his is early on, when he's still in prison, and he gets into a quickly escalating shouting match on the other side of the glass with his estranged teenage daughter, played by Storm Reid. Now, this scene would be pure father-daughter cliche in the wrong hands, but in this instance, they add just a nice dab of exasperation to his character. David Desmelschen has been a face that I could just never take my eyes off of since his on-screen debut as Thomas Schiff, one of the Joker's goons in The Dark Knight. He has that scene with Aaron Eckhart playing, you know, Harvey Dent. You know the one. He has just such a unique, pensive look about him that I always notice him here and there, often in small, memorable roles, and in mostly other comic book properties like Ant-Man or Gotham. He's been in so much stuff. Here he plays Polka Dot Man, a guy with a very unique skin condition who can also weaponize it. Yeah, I know, it's, it sounds ridiculous. But his character not only looks amazing with these bright polka dots, but he just plays him with such a convincing level of pathos. I really felt for this guy. We're all gonna die. I hope so. So much to where at one point, when we see several of our protagonists just cutting loose in a Cordo Maltese, and Cordo Maltese is the fictional Latin American country where they are sent on their mission, They're cutting loose in a quarter Maltese bar, restaurant, they're just dancing. It's a genuinely gratifying moment to see him cutting loose on the dance floor, in a silk shirt, no less. What can I say? I'm just a sucker for celebratory dance sequences that even hint at Saturday Night Fever. And speaking of that mission, it's pretty straightforward. Our squad has to infiltrate a mysterious large facility housing several questionable human experiments involving some sort of extraterrestrial technology. And let's just say that when we finally witness the source of these experiments, this is where we see James Gunn's celebrated background in horror really come out to play. Okay, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert again. Though you kind of see this in the trailers. Okay, you've been warned. The creature is called Starro the Conqueror. And it's literally a seven-story high lumbering starfish with mind-control powers stemming from thousands of smaller starfish which are unleashed into the air from its, I don't know, side pouch? You got me. I don't know what you call it, really. All of these little starfishes are bright blue and red with one freaky eye in their center, just like their master. And if you've seen any of the Alien movies, what these creatures do is very much akin to what the facehuggers do from those movies. It's quite the spectacle. It's kind of horrifying, but it's also kind of beautiful at the same time. Just an amazing sequence. And that ends the spoiler section. Spoiler over. So as if James Gunn didn't shower us with enough over-the-top violence up until that point, he really cuts loose with this extended climax. And yes, it's extended, and it probably goes on for about 40 minutes, but just so many interesting things happen that it never wears out its welcome. That said, this film is probably around 15 minutes too long, but not in that section. There's definitely stuff towards the very beginning and in a mid-section sequence, mostly revolving around Harley Quinn, which really could have been trimmed. Now don't get me wrong, Margot Robbie is really good, as she has been, and she's actually gotten progressively better in each of her films playing Harley Quinn. And the other films would be Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey, The Emancipation Proclamation, or whatever. I don't know, it's got a really long title. She's funny, but also unnerving to watch at times, which is kind of the point, because she's a very damaged person. But there's a budding relationship between her and the local presidente, who's nicely played with the, just the right amount of smarm by an actor named Juan Diego Boto, this whole sequence is just developed and lingered on for way too long. It just takes up too much screen time for how much it actually means to the overall story. Beyond that, though, most of the film moves pretty well. It's as bad as mine. They don't just go away quietly. They slash your tires and they kill your dogs. Tears you apart after a while. And as I stated previously, this film is loaded loaded with gore. Be warned. Now, did I find the gore excessive? Not really. Not really at all. But what what did bother me is the overuse at times of CGI blood, which can just take me out of a scene. But there's actually way more that works about this film that doesn't. And it was way more enjoyable than I expected. And that brings us to the categories. First category is Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. And not only is music essential to film, but as far as I'm concerned, needle drops, they are an art form unto themselves. They can hurt a film as much as help it. And within a lot of comic book movies of late, kind of seeing this trend, I've just found so many needle drops to just be uninspired and distracting. And the first Suicide Squad film from five years ago, it was just loaded with super obvious needle drops, often used as tiny snippets just to introduce new characters. Because hearing Eminem's Without Me will obviously conjure up imagery of a human sized walking crocodile putting on his overcoat, right? And even Gunn's first Guardians movie, it wasn't much better as it was loaded with so much obvious, quote, dad rock, it could have easily just been the soundtrack for a sci fi sequel to Forrest Gump. And yet, with all of the needle drop baggage that this incarnation of the Suicide Squad brings to it, there is some good music. John Murphy's score is actually pretty strong overall. But even better, there is fantastic use of an alt-rock song from the 1980s, which plays over my favorite visual moment in the film. Now, I'm not going to spoil it too much, or which ones survive to the third act, but as the third act kicks in, we see our remaining members of Task Force X, which is actually what they're officially called in this movie. They're walking out of their van to head towards the dreaded site of those scientific experiments. It's raining outside, and yet it's extremely bright outside as well. It's just gorgeously shot. We all see them walking in a row towards the camera, And the chorus kicks in for the song Hey. Yeah, the song's just called Hey by the Pixies. It's a mid tempo rocker from 1989, and it provides a lovely, rousing blend of music and imagery as we hear Frank Black and Kim Deal crooning the chorus of the song while we watch one member of the squad smile to the other as they walk in slow motion. That brings me to the next category, which would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Okay, we know the title of this movie and the basic setup, right? We have this extremely large cast of notable actors, and throughout the marketing, and even per the director in interviews, one catchphrase for this film has been, don't get too attached. (laughs) Get it? Clearly several characters are not making it to the end of this movie alive. But regardless, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, You've been warned. I would have liked more Michael Rooker who plays Savant in the movie. Just saying. Spoiler over. That brings me to the next category, which would be the trailer moment. This would be the scene or moment that best describes this movie. If you want to sell this film, this is what you show somebody. Now, like I said, there is no shortage of standout scenes in this film. Pretty much every major protagonist gets at least one or two moments to really shine. But for me, the one that really sells it is one that we've actually seen hinted at in trailers and even GIFs online already. It's the perfect blend of insanity and beauty. It's, of course, related to Harley Quinn. Now, I'm not going to try to spoil too much, but let's just say there's one sequence where, after being tortured, Harley just unleashes her fury on a hallway filled with goons. And as she struts towards the camera with a rageful look on her face, inflicting damage on everyone in her path, we see, no joke, an explosion of 2D animation of mostly flowers. Even before seeing this film, when I just saw a hint of this in the trailer, it just felt like it was going to be the trailer moment. And wow, in the context of the movie around it, the scene where it happens, it does not disappoint. And that brings us to the next category, the final category. That would be MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. As the posters and the trailers have told us repeatedly in the campaign for this film... It's basically from the beautifully twisted mind of James Gunn, and that pretty much says it all. He has crafted an unhinged superhero epic which is both extremely entertaining and engaging. I found myself rooting for most of these characters, despite some of the baggage that Gunn brought from his other films, mainly a few too many attempts at being clever for the sake of being clever. But he still really threads a genuinely delicate needle with the tone for this film. And for that reason, it certainly stands up as one of the better new comic book film adaptations I've seen in recent years. Now regarding the DC brand, if I were to rank this among all DC-based superhero films, it would probably be in the top tier, but probably just outside my personal top five or six, which would include Batman Begins, V for Vendetta, Wonder Woman, Joker, and Batman Returns. And if the next Guardians of the Galaxy sequel, which Gunn apparently is directing, is rated R... I think there's kind of a slim chance of that. But if it's rated R, I will consider seeing that one. Because like Zack Snyder, James Gunn seems to be a filmmaker who has sensibilities that are much more suited to R-rated content. He's a good match for this movie. This movie's a good match for him. He's your MVP. And my final overall rating for The Suicide Squad would be three and a half stars out of five. I dug this movie. It was actually better than I thought. Now, I had kind of a unique experience with it here. It's currently streaming on HBO Max if you want to see it, but it's also playing in theaters. And usually, I would very much advocate for somebody to see a movie in theaters. This is a big movie. It kind of lends itself to that. But I'm going to be honest and just say that I actually enjoyed it more the second time watching it on streaming. So that's your call. But check it out. And that ends another blood-splattering review. Please subscribe to the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook and Instagram. Join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema.